Hello, my name is Lloyd and welcome to the Book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 2 and we are looking at verses 37 to 41. And this is the fourth part of a four-part series looking at Peter's sermon just after Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So Peter has explained what happened at Pentecost and the rest of his sermon, beginning at verse 14 in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. He looked at the prophetic lead up to this event, the connection to Jesus in it, and now he lets the people respond and he helps them in that response. In particular, what is true conversion? What does it look like? The key being repentance, a total turnaround. And we saw the wonder and effects of the Holy Spirit poured out, out earlier in the chapter, in chapter 2. Not only on the gathered community who are meeting to pray, but also on the general public. And also on Peter and what happened to the apostles. Here stands one who denied Jesus even existed three times. And he is now boldly proclaiming that same Jesus that he denied. Surely Peter has never spoken with such clarity, such boldness, such authority as he does now. And this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Fire, power, strength, boldness, gentleness and an openness in the hearts of the believers. Jesus had declared that the disciples into the future, you and I included, would do greater works than even Jesus himself did. And we hear of no large revivals or large, large-scale salvations whilst Jesus was alive. Not like we hear today when we're going to see 3,000 coming to faith, 3,000 being baptized and added to the church. If your church has plateaued, just consider whether you have quenched the work and ministry and the, and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit in your midst. So let's go through this verse by verse. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So what did they heard? They heard Peter explaining what this is all about, how Jesus was central, how his crucifixion was central to the day of Pentecost how they were instrumental in the crucifixion of Jesus. Peter had not brought an easy message. 
he had accused the crowd of murdering Jesus, murdering their own Messiah. And where before, when Jesus was alive, the crowds and the religious leaders had wanted Jesus dead, now something totally different, something strange happens. Repentance. There is a clear sense of deep guilt in the crowd, how they had recently treated Jesus at the crucifixion. This weighs heavily upon their minds and their hearts. It's not merely feeling sorry or regret that is happening. It is a conviction of sin. It is a deep sorrow. A conscience-stricken crowd moved in deep grief, anxious now to do something about what they had just been convinced was a very evil act. They had all participated in the killing of the Messiah. And on top of that, the weight of their own sin throughout their lives is now being laid bare to them as the Holy Spirit has poured out. So here we see the power of God in the Holy Spirit to bring about the conviction of sin, to bring about repentance, deep sorrow for sin, brokenness at sin and the consequences of sin. How could such numbers be swayed so quickly except by the Holy Spirit of God. And this is the longing of any evangelist preaching, any preacher preaching, is to have this question asked, what must we do? As they've asked here in verse 37, what, brothers, what shall we do? So let's see what Peter suggests. First, um, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's two actions here we see. There's repent, be baptized, and then there's two blessings. Receive forgiveness and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the first one. First action, repent. The greatest issue for the church is not large numbers of converts, but it's false converts. The danger on this day, the day of Pentecost, is that the early church would be swamped with false converts. People saying, I follow Jesus, but not really doing that in their hearts, not really being true followers of Christ. And this, these, these false converts could have influenced or infiltrated the church and influenced it just as it started off and actually sunk it before it even got going. So why does Peter insist on this radical response, this repentance? Why must we insist on the same today? We must, of course, preach the gospel, but we need to also be able to help those who respond to respond correctly, lest we leave them in a worse place than they were originally. So what does Peter not want the crowd to do? Merely say sorry for sin, but not actually be affected by what they've done or turn away from it. Instead, <clears throat> he tells them, without any way of escaping from this, to repent. 
It's a complete turnaround. That's what he's saying. Repent. That's what the word means. It's like a U-turn in modern day language. And this is a U-turn about everything they had believed, everything they had stood for, everything they had stood up for, everything they had longed for, everything they had been, everything they had believed in. Everything must be abandoned. And instead, Christ embraced as all in all, Lord and Saviour. The expectation of repentance is that we now do things very differently. We have a change in our hearts. We have a change in our minds. We change the way we think. We change the way we walk through life. Everything is different. That's what repentance means. There's a U-turn. You were like this. You're now like that. Repentance is radical. Elsewhere in the Bible, Paul refers to repentance and language in, in this way. He talks about us needing to die to ourselves, die to our old selves. We become a new creation. So when we repent, it is proved by our actions and deeds thereafter. So something needs to die, something needs to change. And we can't just say that, it actually needs to happen. And that's the beauty about repentance. We don't need to fake it, it happens to us. We, we repent and God comes in and he changes us. And there's no denying it if it's genuine. True repentance always bears fruit. So what's next? So we talked about repentance. These are the two actions that Peter was calling him to. So first of all, repent. The next thing, be baptized. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so we're just going to turn to a scripture now in another part of the Bible, in Romans chapter 6. If you want to read this, uh, turn there or just listen. So Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. This is Paul who's written this letter to the church in Rome. And he's talking about being dead to sin and alive to God, which is exactly what he's been talking about in about turn. That's the way once we've repented, we die to sin, we become alive to God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we who would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all but the life he lives he lives to God so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but rather present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. There's a lot of language there about dying and then being alive to God, of dying to the life of sin. This is what baptism is about. It's, it's showing what has happened in our hearts. We've died to that old life. We've died to sin. And we've now come alive to Christ. And just as Jesus died on the cross and then was resurrected, so in our own lives, that is reflected in, in what happens to us. Our, the reality of Christ becomes our reality. We, we are in Christ. That's what Paul says. So as Christ died, all of our sin died at that point. And we now are raised up to new life in God. We're alive to God. We can see him. We recognize him. We are longing for him and his appearing. So in the words of Paul, we have died to sin. If you follow Jesus, if you believe in him, or if you're about to, that's what's going to happen. You're going to die to sin. Something needs to die. Something You cannot go back to that anymore. You cannot do that again. That thing is dead. You cannot go there. And if you do, it feels strange. It feels dead. It feels old. It feels like a past life. So we need to be buried with him. That's what baptism is. We go into the water. So baptism is you go into the water and you come up. So you die. All that old life dies. That's what baptism represents. The old is gone. The new has come. Baptism represents what has happened. We have died to our old ways and we've come alive to the new life in Christ. And to mark the reality of repentance, Peter calls those who have repented to be water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not just putting them in the water and bring them out again. That's not, there's, there's no power in that. It's, a, it's recognizing what Jesus has done in our lives, in our hearts. So we baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Nothing can be more humbling, especially in the story reading today, Pentecost, for the Jews who up till now had relied on their being Jewish to be accepted by God and to participate to you know to participate in all the ceremonies of of of, of, of Jewishness they, they they regarded being Jewish as as the, as, as everything their um, membership at the at the uh, synagogues their all of that all of that was because they were Jewish and now they 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 get humbled by baptism. If you participate in baptism as what Peter's describing, you're basically saying goodbye to all that. Because at the time that we're reading here, 2,000 years ago at Pentecost, water baptism was primarily for Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. So to do so, to be baptized, was to admit, was to confess publicly that Jewishness was not enough to be saved, but because you're getting baptized in the name of Jesus, that Jesus is now enough. He is everything. So John the Baptist had prepared the nation by baptizing those who had repented. Now the reality of it is having to is, is bearing out across the nation. To get publicly baptized was to leave behind any connection to the former Jewish life, to say in effect, I now trust in a dead, crucified and resurrected Messiah for, for my relationship with God. I don't 
it's not my being born to Jewish parents or being part of the Jewish nation or performing Jewish ceremony that matters. It's Jesus. I'm in Christ. So those who got baptized would publicly leave behind all that they had been. And they would embrace this Jewish Messiah that they had just asked to be crucified as their only hope. So baptism was actually a rather unpleasant, hard to perform action. Just like repentance was. Repentance is impossible outside of God. And baptism was there to demonstrate that the repentance was real. Because you wouldn't go, wouldn't go through all the trouble of baptism if you hadn't truly repentant. Why would you publicly do that when it would just be easier just to fit in and just stay Jewish and not say anything, not, not rock the boat? Repentance is a gift of God, but it requires obedience by faith. Because we, because we can't tell the genuineness of someone's repentance, those who repented were required to get water baptized, as Peter is saying here. And they are to face this public spectacle stroke humiliation to evidence their hearts had been changed. Baptism was hard to do, difficult even just to think, and only possible if one was really, really and ready to abandon their former life and die to themselves, die to sin, as Paul put in Romans 6, and come alive to God. Repent then and be baptized requires humility, incredible humility. Now we submit to a new Lord, a new master. His name is Jesus Christ. So those are the two actions that, that Peter had called for us to, to do by faith and obedience. And now the two blessings. First, receive forgiveness for sins. We need to accept that we have indeed been forgiven. It is done. Christ has ransomed us. His finished work on the cross is enough. One of the hardest things in life is to receive forgiveness because it's impossible humanly speaking it has to be received so someone has to give it before you can receive it it's a gift from God in the context of Pentecost this included forgiveness for their recent rejection of Christ and as a nation demanding his crucifixion should they be forgiven should I be forgiven for what I've done can I be forgiven. We need to receive the forgiveness of God and he's the only one who can truly forgive us and then we need to live forgiven forever. God when he forgives he chooses to forget. He who knows all things chooses not to remember our sins anymore. Isn't that a remarkable thing? The Bible explains that God removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he takes them away from us. Who then are we to be more strict than God and to consider his work and redemption not sufficient to forgive us? That's what you're saying when you say, I can't be forgiven. I can't, I can't receive this forgiveness of God. You're saying you, 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 you're stricter than God. <clears throat> Many live as sinners saved by grace. 
i.e. what they do is who they are. Because they still sin, they call themselves sinners and live in sort of a twilight zone of low level or sometimes incredible and unfathomable depths of guilt for past or even current sin. So nowhere in the Bible do any of the, the authors refer to those who've been saved by Christ as sinners still. It's always in the past. They were sinners. They were those without God. But now there's this remarkable description. It is in Christ. That's what, that's what is mostly used by Paul, this phrase, in Christ. There is a new identity. There's a new reality. We are who we are now, not what we do or what we did. So let this just free you up today of guilt right now. Let be free from that title. Don't call yourself a sinner. If you've been saved by Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus and repented, as Peter has explained, repented and been baptized, um, and you are in Christ, that's where you are. We are now in Christ. We are now in We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus, who has redeemed us. <clears throat> so I'm just going to read a, sh a short little passage from Romans 5, verses 6 to 7, just to help explain this a little bit. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for sinners. For one would, will, will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified as the current by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So it talks about our former life of being sinners, of being ungodly, and then our current life of being in Christ, being saved, being justified by his blood. <clears throat> Another passage is 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. It says in this letter from Paul again, to the church of God, that is in Corinth, to those, these are the important words, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So he's saying those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, they're called saints, and they're those who in every place call upon God. So they're praying people. They're calling on the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then our last passage is from Ephesians 2. Um, let me see. Ephesians 2 verse 19. And it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So there's a description there of, of us being, being members of the household, not strangers, but fellow citizens, saints, members of God's household. So when we admit that we are in Christ, that is a declaration, it's a confession even, of our confidence and faith in Christ's victory over sin. When we are convicted of sin and come to your saving faith in Jesus, it is the greatest encouragement that our case, which up to that point was very sad, has now changed dramatically and there is now incredible hope at hand. And that's what we're declaring. Receiving forgiveness. Lastly, in this verse, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
true converts, truly repentant Christ followers will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not a distant possibility. This may happen, may not. If you do it right, if you say the right word, no. But it's rather a powerful certainty. That's what Peter says there. He says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just as wonderful as forgiveness is, so the Holy Spirit helps us to know that we are forgiven, that we are the children of God, that we have God as our Father. We are assured of our forgiveness when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. So I'm just going to read briefly from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. Heirs with Christ. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, this is the important part, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's our identity. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit convinces us that we belong to God, that we are children of God. And if there's children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So everything that belongs to Jesus is now ours. That's what that's saying. We are fellow heirs with Christ. And this is the difference between following Christ and every other false religion around. All other religions, they require their followers to make their way up to God and prove their worthiness in order to be accepted by God. But for the people of God, it's the exact opposite. Christians receive access to God as a gift. It comes from God. If you follow Jesus and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and forgiveness, you add nothing to that arrangement apart from your sin, which is the thing that's getting taken away. So only now that we have the Holy Spirit can we truly live out our lives for God. It would seem ridiculous to repent, be baptized, but then refuse to follow out on the commitment and faith and stop, you know, to, to stop sinning, except if it is all fake. So what this is saying is that the final evidence of a true believer who has repented and been baptized, received forgiveness, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, a changed life. So this Holy Spirit, when he comes into us, he makes us act differently. He makes us become like Jesus every day. Let's just read from Galatians 4, verses 6 to 7. Because you are sons, so because you are already sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, then an heir through God, just like we heard just now. So we don't earn the Holy Spirit, we don't earn forgiveness, that's a gift. The, the, the forgiveness is given to us. The Holy Spirit is a gift to us, to evidence to us, to assure us that we belong to God. True sons have the Spirit. That's what it says there. It's talking about sonship, daughtership, belonging to God. Anyone can claim to follow Jesus, 
but only those with the spirit can actually live this out and be genuine sons and daughters without any effort because it is a God-empowered situation. When the Holy Spirit's given to us and in our hearts, that becomes who we are naturally. We become the children of God. And this is God's quality control. Only those who truly repent will get baptized. <clears throat> and only those then will receive forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And only those are His people. These are the only terms of salvation there are none other available. So who is this for? Verse 20, 39. It says, <clears throat> The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Seems to be everyone there. So it's for you, for your children, for all who are far off, and everyone who calls, who God calls to himself. So there's no geographic limitation. Yeah? There's no age barrier. All can come, young, old, God can call you wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you've done. If you hear God, you can respond. I.e., if you are hearing God call to you today, right now, as I'm speaking, you can respond to Him. By repenting, you can get baptized, you can receive forgiveness, you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're not called to just an institution, to a building. But God is calling you to himself, calling you into relationship. Is God calling you today as you listen to this? Either to return to him or for the very first time, please come to him right now. Just pause this and just get on your knees and talk to him where you are. Peter continues pleading with the crowd as I plead with you today. You must respond to God today. Don't leave it till tomorrow. Come to him right now. Call to him. Contact us. Send us a message if you need help to understand this or to work through this. What does it mean? Please do get in touch. We'd love to help you and serve you in some way. So last verse, those who received his word, so they're listening to Peter speaking, were baptized. So they listened, they repented, they were baptized, and they were added to the church that day, 3,000 souls. So be part of a local church to continue to grow, to continue to understand what this is all about, so that you can, you can, you can understand what it means. Growing as a believer, as a Christian, requires other people around you, requires other brothers and sisters to talk into your life, to speak to you and encourage you, for you to encourage them. So would you come to Christ today? Would you repent, as we've explained, turn away from your sinful life and turn to Christ? Would you get baptized, water baptized, join a local church, and ask to be water baptized if you have started following Jesus to demonstrate what has happened in your heart? And publicly declare it. Receive forgiveness for your sins. God alone can give this, this to you. God alone gives forgiveness. Receive the gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit and see how your life changes. Amen.